Easier said than done, right? We're gonna talk about that in just a moment. It's great to be back with you. Let me say thank you first to our missions committee, Pastor Blaine, and so many who contributed to a meaningful and powerful month of missions during October. Uh, I was very moved and I love um, the immigration immersion experience that Kayak sponsored on the third floor of the hub and our missions experience. Um, God is doing just some amazing things in missions in our church. And uh, I'm just really grateful for the team that put that together. Last weekend, I had the privilege of being at our Steel Valley campus. And there literally was standing room only. We had about 175 people there as we relaunched or rebranded for expansion our Steel Valley campus and installed Pastor Trey as the new campus pastor there. He's there today. And um, it was an awesome an amazing time, and I'm excited about what God is doing um, in the Steel Valley area. I will echo Krista's announcement about the race next weekend. I know that it is an inconvenience, and as we often talk about um, being at a church in an urban context in the heart of Pittsburgh in a diverse community, it's not always comfortable or convenient, but uh, that's what we sign up for, or in case you didn't not- notice, you signed up for that. Um, <laughs> Uh, often the Pittsburgh Marathon, Marathon gets a lot of attention during the summer, but there is a significant race next weekend, and so there will be no 8.30 a.m. service, and I will warn you that it's going to be a bit tricky coming to the 10, and so we are doing our best to work with the city to find parking in ways here. We just want you to get a heads up, and it's why we decided to do a series on anger joking. It's not, it's not why, but the timing is, is really good. Um, I will mention as, as we talk about unoffendable, I cannot take credit for the name of the series. Uh, I have some dear friends and involved in a network of pastors within the Alliance, the denomination of which we are a part of. And a couple of them had, had gone through a series last year on an offended, uh, on being unoffendable. And it, they talked really about, um, how it really changed the tone of their church. And uh, there's also a book by an author, Brett Hansen, named Unoffendable. Um, You can Google and find that later. But I think we would all acknowledge that we live in a world and a culture of outrage. Even in that bumper video, we had some conversation about it because there were a few clips in that bumper video that can be triggering. Some of you, when you saw it, you just there was some emotion or anger um, that rised up within you. And we talked about, you know, should we take those out? And then we realized, no, that's the whole point. <laughs> that we want to create a bit of tension because even us as Jesus followers can fall into that anger and outrage culture. 
that we live in a world where people are constantly either in a state of being offended or they're looking for a way to be offended. How many of you know someone like that? That's just, they're always looking for a way to be offended. Don't point at the person next to you. But <laughs> there are people like that. They're just looking for a way to be offended. And before we look to what the Bible says about dealing with anger and being a people that are unoffendable, I want to just highlight a few factors that I believe fuel this world and culture of outrage. They're things that are probably a part of our normal, regular life. And I'm not criticizing these to the extent that you should not use these tools or be a part of them. I'm just simply recognizing that these are opportunities for the enemy to, to draw anger up in you. And they are factors that fuel our society of outrage. Here's the first one. It's social media. Now, again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be on social media, that it can't be used for good. Um, it can but how many of you recognize oftentimes things people type or maybe even we find ourselves guilty of writing on social media we would never say if we were actually sitting face to face with that person? It fuels our outrage culture. 24-hour news cycle can fuel our outrage culture. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch the news. Um, you should find out what's happening in the world. But the problem with where we're at as a culture now, that even media and news are divided into philosophies and ideological thinking, and they're dedicated to the belief that if you don't view the world events in this way, then you're a moron. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what they say, that, that if you don't view it this way, you're part of the problem. And if we're not careful, when we watch the news, when we engage in social media like that, all it's doing is fueling the offense inside of us and fueling anger, which is a great transition to the third one. And that is our divided political climate, where parties blame one another for the state of the world, and they use fear to motivate its base. And we fall trap into that. We have political parties that say this is why the world is the way it is and those people are to blame. And if you don't want the world to keep going down the rabbit hole or to turn into this, then you need to vote for us because they are the enemy. And again, it's not that we shouldn't engage in politics or vote. We absolutely should. But it's an awareness how social media, how the news cycle and how political ideologies can just fuel the anger and outrage that can be inside of us. All of this and more, it's created this atmosphere where we are daily being offended by something or someone. Here's something I discovered. I didn't know there was a thing such as rage rooms. You ever heard about this? We actually have one in Pittsburgh and I'm not trying to promote it. You can Google if you wanna go later. But for $50, you get 30 minutes in a rage room. And what they will do is they will give you goggles and they will give you a sledgehammer or a golf club or a baseball bat or your weapon of choice. And you go into this room that's decked out with furniture and computers and dishes and pictures and you can let out all your rage by just tearing stuff apart and beating it down all for the price of 50 bucks for 30 minutes. Now, if that doesn't illustrate the world of outrage that we live in, I'm not sure what does. But unfortunately, that attitude has infiltrated and it has infected even the body of Christ. And my question for us today, is this how we as followers of Jesus are supposed to live? 
Remember, when asked what was the greatest commandment, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is equal to the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what we do is say, well, who is my neighbor? (laughs) And what does it mean to love them? Well, what does it mean to love your neighbor? And what many call the love chapter and that we often use at weddings and celebrate, Paul describes what love should look like in our lives. And part of loving our neighbor, loving people in the world, which God has called us to, Paul writes, love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. If we're loving our neighbor, if we're loving those around us, then that means we will not be easily angered at them, nor will we keep record of wrongs, meaning nor will we take up offense, that we won't be offendable. Proverbs 19.11, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Basically, it's to your credit, it's to your glory, it's to your benefit, to be unoffendable. Here's something you maybe have never considered before. You can choose to be unoffendable. It's a choice that each of us can make to be unoffendable. So what do I mean? What are we talking about when we say offense or to take offense, to be um, offended? Well, it's really, it's the taking of offense that's the problem. And the taking of offense is a presumption that I am somehow entitled to be angry. That I have a right not just to be angry, but I'm entitled to hold on to my anger. The reality is we all get angry. This isn't a message about you shouldn't get angry or be angry. Some of you are angry that I'm preaching about anger. (laughs) Anger is a human emotion, but it's when we hold on to it When we take offense, I believe we move into sinning. I was preparing this message this week and even looking at it on Friday and it was time to leave. And so I pulled out of our parking lot here and this guy was going like 80 miles an hour down a road, just 25 miles an hour. And I thought I had enough time and I pulled out and I mean, he laid on the horn and said I was number one. And And I mean, my blood began to boil. I'm like, dude, if you weren't driving 80 miles an hour and and all of a sudden I remember, what are you preaching on this weekend? Anger, okay? (laughs) But it boiled up within me because I felt like I had a right because of what he was doing to be angry. Now some angry, some of you are even sitting here and you're, you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a second. Aren't we as Christians supposed to be angry? Are we supposed to be angry at people who go against God's word? Isn't being offended part of being a Christian? No. That's the answer to those questions, no. I even wonder this. I wonder if there was a poll taken in America. Think of this. If there was a poll taken in America, what groups of people are the most easily offended? I wonder where Christians would rank. My guess is we'd be pretty high up on the list. Here's the point today. As we look to God's word, Jesus followers should be the most unoffendable people in the world. Those who call themselves disciples of Jesus should be known for being unoffendable. And not only can you choose to be unoffendable, we should choose that. We should forfeit our right to be offended. 
And that also means giving up our right to hold on to anger. And really, isn't that the issue? It's anger. It's what do we do with our anger? And we don't often admit this. We certainly don't like to admit this, but some of us like being angry. Some of us like holding on to offense and anger. Now, we don't like what caused the anger. We don't like what caused the hurt, but we do like thinking that we've got something on someone because we've been offended. So we hold on to it. We take that offense because somehow it gives us a sense of personal moral superiority. And that's why we label it righteous anger. In the moment, everyone's anger always seems righteous. When I was pulling out and that guy was going 80 miles an hour, I felt that my anger was righteous. I was right in my anger because he was speeding. And anger is a feeling after all. And when it sweeps over us, it tells us that we've been denied something and that we are right. But yet, if you really think about it and you look, nowhere in the Bible, in the teachings of Jesus, is there any exception for, well, okay, if someone really is a moron or someone really does justly offend you, you have a right to be angry at them and you can be offended. Jesus doesn't teach that. Jesus doesn't teach, well, if you're really in the right and they're wrong, go ahead and live angry, be angry, and take up offense. Nowhere in the teachings of Jesus does it show that. Instead, the teachings of Jesus teach us that we are told directly that we are to forgive, especially the people and the very stuff that we find offensive and that drives us crazy. Jesus tells us we're to love and we're to forgive them. In Matthew's gospel, chapter five, we find Jesus's words. We know this, but we forget or we ignore it. Jesus said, you've heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Luke's gospel says, Jesus said to those you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. It's consistent all throughout the New Testament. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Even the apostle Peter writes in one of his letters, he says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate. He's writing to us as Christians. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, he says, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called us to do. And he will grant us his blessings. The very thing that you believe makes your anger righteous is the very thing you are called to forgive. Well, if we are going to experience anger, and all of us do, how are we to handle it? What does the Bible say on how to deal with anger? James chapter 1, verse 19, our text and 20 for today tells us how we're to deal with anger. James, the brother of Jesus, writes, understand this, my brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. It's a verse probably many of you have read and heard a thousand times. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. But the fact is, not many people today are listening. Most people are quick to share their thoughts, to share their opinions, and spew out whatever Words come into their brain. Anger is on display 
everywhere. And again, many followers of Jesus have adopted the same approach to life. But in the very next sentence, James writes, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Our anger, according to James, the brother of Jesus in the Bible, our anger does not produce the righteousness that God wants from us in our life. James is essentially saying nothing good comes from anger. I want you to think about what angers you the most right now. Maybe some of you, you're already thinking about the things that you're holding on to, the offense in your life. And I'm not talking about bad drivers. I'm talking about deeper things, more important things than that. The things that really offend you, the things that really anger you. If nothing good comes from anger, let me ask you this. Is your anger making you more like Jesus? Is your anger revealing to those around you the radical transformation that the Holy Spirit has done in your life? Is your anger displaying that transformation that the Holy Spirit has done in your life? Is your anger making you more of a loving person, more of a joyful person? I don't know if there is a better human example on how to deal with anger, how to living a life of being unoffendable than Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King had plenty of reasons to be angry and to take offense time and time again. He was physically threatened and attacked by bigoted people. He was repeatedly jailed by state authorities, harassed by the FBI, and even vilified by fellow black leaders who preferred more aggressive forms of resistance. Yet despite the justification, as a Christ follower, Dr. King recognized the danger of anger, and he waged a personal battle within himself to tame it. One such moment I want to share with you came in December of 1955 as he was leading talks with authorities in Montgomery, Alabama on negotiating the end of the boycott of the bus boycott. He realized that many were not ready to give up their segregation privileges and talks were heading into a stalemate. And what made it worse is that others were portraying Dr. King as the sole stumbling block to this agreement. In his personal autobiography, Dr. King writes these words. That Monday, I went home, and with a heavy heart, I was weighed down by a terrible sense of guilt, remembering that on two or three occasions, I had allowed myself to become angry and indignant. I had spoken hastily and resentfully, yet I knew this was no way to solve a problem. You must not harbor anger, I admonished myself. You must be willing to suffer the anger of the opponent and not to return the anger. You must not become bitter. No matter how emotional your opponents are, you must be calm. See, Dr. King learned to tame his anger and he chose to be unoffendable. And in doing so, he became a messenger of a peaceful struggle in this nation. However, there was a real test that would come a year later when on a night in 1956, his home was bombed in Birmingham, Alabama by white extremists. And again, these words written in his autobiography, Dr. King said, while I lay in that quiet front bedroom, I began to think of the viciousness of the people who would bomb my home. I could feel the anger rising when I realized that my wife and baby could have been killed. I was once more on the verge of corroding hatred 
And once more, I caught myself and I said, you must not allow yourself to become bitter. See, that night, Dr. King didn't just shut down his own personal desire for vengeance. But he also went outside to a restless and angry crowd that was waiting for him to speak the word and they would have struck. But instead, Dr. King soothed the situation within his own heart and that within that crowd when he spoke these words. He said, we are not advocating violence. We want to love our enemies. And I want you to love your enemies. Be good to them. Love them and let them know that you love them. You see, Dr. King understood what James, the brother of Jesus, was saying when he wrote, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So how do we practically deal with anger and offense in our life? Go back to that verse 19. James gives us really simple but hard-to-apply lessons when he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. The first thing James says when we experience offense, when we experience anger, is that we have to be willing to listen. Oftentimes, that's the last thing on our mind when we are offended or angry. When we're at the dinner table over the holidays and the families together, and we have people with different political opinions, how often are we quick to listen? How often are we to close our mouth, to stop fighting, thinking arguments in our head about everything that they're saying is wrong and simply listen and try to discern and understand another person's perspective or opinion? James goes further. He says, be quick to listen. But then he says, we have to be slow to respond, to again, close our mouth, to pray for the Spirit's leading and discernment. What should I say, if anything, in this moment? Now, please, Hear me and hear my heart in this. This is not to say that we as Christ followers should not speak up and be bold and courageous about God's word and truth and culture. This is not about us being silent. It's not about us being salt and light in our world and community. We need to be gospel messengers of truth. But there is a way in which we should share that gospel message. And that is first to listen, to be slow to respond and to do it in love. That our conversation would be seasoned with grace, as Paul says. So we have to be willing to listen, slow to respond. And then James says the third thing is that we should be slow to get angry. Now, I want you to pay attention to the order of this. This is the biblical order of how we are to respond when we are offended and angry. Willing to listen. Slow to respond. Slow to get angry. What is the order that our culture has right now? Quick to get angry quick to respond and unwilling to listen. This is the world. And so many times Christ followers and we of a church fall to that same category as the world. And James is saying, no, there is a better way. Followers of Jesus, be willing to listen. Be slow to respond. Be slow to get angry. What if, think of this, what if we chose to be unoffendable? What if, Christians were known for being the most unoffendable people in the world. What if followers of Jesus were known for being the most loving, giving, joyful people in our community, in our city, and in the world? 
our churches would be full. People would be running to meet this man named Jesus. Because they would see his children, his followers, loving and being unoffendable. Jesus' followers should be the most unoffendable people in the world. As I was thinking, well, how do we keep this in front of us over the next few weeks? Had an idea, and so we have a gift for all of you today. There's a little black rubber bracelet that we got for all of you, and it has one word on it, unoffendable. As you leave today, the ushers have all of these at the exit doors. I'm going to ask that you take one. I got to be the first one to put it in practice because on Friday when that guy was flying down the road, I had my hand like this and the bracelet on my arm. And while I was thinking about how to respond when he was telling me I was number one, I looked at my wrists and I saw unoffendable. I know there is legitimate pain. I know there is legitimate hurt. I'm not glossing over that. In the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about that. How do you deal with that? How do you process that? But yet even in the midst of that, we should be unoffendable. It's who God has called us to be. It's a higher way. It's a better way. And it's what the world needs to see. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? So again, I realize some of you are angry because I'm stepping on your angry toes. Um, It's not going to get easier over the next couple weeks. And I want us just to pray together that God would do surgery on on our hearts and reveal stuff that we're holding on to. Maybe some of us are holding on to resentment and bitterness and things that have happened from childhood. Legitimate things. I'm I'm not dismissing that. Legitimate pain. But we've got to let it go. Next week, we're going to look deep into what the Bible actually says about anger. What does the Old Testament say about anger? What does the New Testament say about anger? What does the Bible say about righteous anger And is it actually something that we are allowed to hold on to? I'm going to challenge you with that. Some of you are already thinking Ephesians chapter 4. Well, doesn't Paul say be angry and in your anger don't sin? Yes, that's there. We're going to talk about that next week. Well, what about righteous anger? Shouldn't I be angry, have righteous anger about certain things? How do we respond when we see injustice in the world? Can't anger be a good motivator? Shouldn't anger be fuel when we see injustice? Come next week, we're gonna talk about it. And then the third week, we're gonna look at the antidote to anger and being offended. And even more importantly, we're gonna open the altars and we're gonna ask that God would take off of us some of the offense that we have been carrying. Some of the things that we just have been angry about for years. It's not justifying those things that have hurt us, but it's saying, God, I give it to you. We're gonna see what the Bible says about how we can really live in freedom and letting go of that anger. Heavenly Father, I 
I recognize this isn't easy because truth is we live in a world that <laughs> they, are saying, they are embracing and promoting a lot of things that go against your word. I think of some of our older saints, people here that have lived through years and years, and they have a lot of history on their side, and it angers them because they see where we're going, and it's understandable, but yet at the same time, I believe your word teaches us that we're not to hold on to that anger, and we are to be an unoffendable people. I know there's some in this room that are wrestling with they're justified. There is abuse. There's legitimate pain that they were not worthy of. It was wrong and it was not just. It was not right. And it has, they've held on to that anger. So, Lord, in these next three weeks, God, open us all up. Reveal to us areas that maybe we didn't even realize we're holding on to offense. And Holy Spirit, transform us. Turn us into a people that really know how to love their enemies. Not that we're silenced, not that we're afraid to speak truth, but we do it, again, as Paul said, seasoned with salt and with love. Help us in that, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. Go and be unoffendable. Get your bracelet as you leave the door today. God bless you.